Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 66 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I remain to this day your co host, Mark Blankenship. And with me, as always, is the glorious co-host that I like to call Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Because that's my name. Hi, Mark. That's it's appropriate then. Um, you know, I do think it's uh, worth noting that just before we started recording this episode, Sarah noted that episode 66 means that it's two-thirds of the number of the beast. And since today's artist has often been accused by conservatives as being a witch, that seems only appropriate yeah um a a moniker or an accusation that she has embraced pop culturally i believe per american horror story yes Uh, we're of course speaking of stevie nicks we're going to be talking about stand back mark is this a listener request anything else we need to know well it sure is a listener request it was requested by a listener named hillary and uh, Hillary, we thank you for this request. And Sarah, I'm going to be bold. I know that sometimes we do prologues before we get to the clip, but I think we should just jump right into the clip from Stand Back, which is Why the not? hit that's been requested. Let's do it. Well, I I will stand back, as ordered, in a moment. But first, I have a few thoughts. May I begin? Please. Uh, We talk from time to time about the hits from, like, super groups or rock legends of the 60s and 70s and the hits that they had in the 80s, that how they're different, how they're you know, sometimes better, sometimes pathetic uh, in our Starship episode, which, by the way, listeners, if the if the tunes from that are still stuck in your head the way they are in mine, <laughs> I am sorry. I am being punished. I am still humming We Built This City Around the House, which I don't mind. I kind of like that song, but oof. Anyway, uh, the thing that is striking to me about this song, which I really like, for reasons that I can't quite put my finger on because there are a lot of individual elements of it that should not work for me. There is a very classic Casio drum pad 80s sound happening. There is that classic like twangly guitar that doesn't sound, um, that sounds a little, uh, ersatz for lack of a better word. Mm. And Nix's voice is trashed. Like, she she sounds like she has gargled gravel, which if you've ever watched the Fleetwood Mac behind the music, she may have done to try to get just a little bit of a high 
in the recording studio for Tusk. Who knows? Uh, but it all works for the song. The song is greater than the sum of its parts, I think. And the fact that her voice is a little bit uh, tore up uh, works for the song, which to me is this like anthem of defiant loneliness, like a sort of unrepentant heartbreak and freak flag of heartbreak flying. Uh, but what I also like is that it gets at both its own era and it all, while at the same time suggesting that like dreamy, druggy, lens flary uh, sadness of the mid-70s Fleetwood Mac albums that I also love. So I think that this is one of the more successful examples of a like stadium rock outfit or a member of a stadium rock outfit transitioning into the next era and style of pop, mm -hmm. but still holding on to what makes it or her or him uh, so much of their original era. Would you agree? Do you like the song? Uh, so let me just make sure that I'm, I want to make sure that I'm understanding you. I'm pretty sure I am, but whereas say Starship made a complete break with their initial sound to make 80s hits for you stand back is a progression towards an 80s sound that actually retains some of the spirit of the music that the artist made before yeah which might not necessarily be like all that 70s but you you have like echoes of what made her famous mm -hmm. to begin with with Fleetwood Mac but it's not it's not in a bad way it's in a way that like complements what she's doing which is like more of its time this song came out in what 83 yeah okay so it I mean it sounds like an 80s song but it also sounds like that sort of Rhiannon style not plaintive but just like you know you know how she did with Fleetwood Mac, just like, I, you know, I'm a sad witch whose whose powers have been truncated, kind of, which I I love, and it, it's it's a very moody sound, and it's pretty impressive that she can get it to carry into a pop song that is a pretty '80s pop song. Yeah, I mean, what can I say? I think you're exactly right. Like. Great. End of episode. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Wait, wait, wait. I have a few more thoughts. Wait, I take it back. <laughs> we do love that theme song, but let's, let's move on. Um, okay. Where to begin? I think that you touching on the fact that you can tell that this is a Stevie Nicks song gets at one of the reasons I love it, too, which takes me back to our recent Tori Amos conversation, in fact. Because okay. I love about many Stevie Nicks songs that she wrote herself. Uh, she did not actually write her later 80s hit single, Talk To Me, which I just love so much, if you know that song. But the songs that she wrote herself, not unlike Tori Amos, endear themselves to me because they make emotional sense without always making complete lyrical sense. Yes, um, 
like in this in this song, stand back, stand back. In the middle of my room, I did not hear from you. Okay, I got, I'm got, I got you. It's all right. It's all right to be standing in a line. What? What line? In the middle of your room? In a line for the bathroom? And the truth is, the song makes enough overall emotional sense. Like you said, it's about defiant loneliness. That it makes me feel like there's something that she just had to say and she didn't have the time to think through the way to say it perfectly because she was feeling it so strongly. And that takes us back, I feel, to Tori Amos. I think that you can also hear that in Landslide, which is, of course, one of the greatest songs of the rock era, but doesn't quite make logical sense, but makes all the emotional sense in the world. So yeah, It's funny because I took my notes and listened to the song and then I was like, maybe I'm wrong about what the song is about. So I looked up the lyrics and I was like, well, it could go either way. Yeah. But this is one case where like, it's actually better to not, it's like, maybe I'm hearing that wrong. I wonder what she's actually saying. Like, you won't actually be any happier, like knowing what the real words are, I would well, say. And I found the emotional it, sense. It it works. Don't don't flip it over to see how it was made. That's that's my advice. Well, and I don't know if you found this in your research, but I found an interview with her online where she concedes that she doesn't exactly know what the literal lyrics to Stand Back are about. Specifically that line, standing in a line, because I was looking up anything I could find on her discussing these lyrics to see if she talked about it, and I found it very refreshing that she basically said, um, I don't really know, and that just made me love the song even more because there is this element of mystery to Stevie Nicks that there's a certain amount of impenetrability, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, that I find so fantastic, and I feel like, honestly, it's one of the reasons that she gets branded as a witch, which I'm so glad you mentioned the American Horror Story thing, that she is totally embracing it, because good for you, girl, if you are a witch magic up some powers and get a new president in this country, please. But anyway. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I, ASAP girl. Yeah, yes. But I, I like the fact that there's this like Stevie Nicks is emotionally raw, but Stevie Nicks is also still keeping something back is the way that it comes across to me. And I love that. Like there's something about her that's so poised and confident and mysterious that it's like, even if you don't know exactly what she means, you get the sense that she knows exactly what she's talking about, and she's letting you see as much as she's going to let you see, and you can get on board or not. And I feel like that type of confident mystery is what inspires events like the Night of a Thousand Stevies, where fans get together and dress like Stevie Nicks. That's what inspires a whole season of American Horror Story to hinge on Stevie Nicks. I so that's one of my large things that I love about this song is that it is so in keeping with the the fantastic mystique of Stevie Nicks. But I I think it's also important to acknowledge that she and this is also somewhat related to Tori Amos, I think, and I will sort of make my way to that commonality in a second. But when you're watching the behind the music on Fleetwood Mac, or you're reading a biography about the band and how they were all like bed hopping and sort of like editing each other's, you know, bass lines for love songs about each other's exes and shit like that. And you look at Stevie Nicks's persona, which tended to be this like, um, uh, second sight 
driven, like she's sort of on by herself on the stage in a like pin light with a tambourine, like dancing in a circle and she's with them, but she's separate from them. And it's like, she's hearing something from across the veil, right? Accessible mystery. Yes. Right. But this is also a very, I think, gendered way of looking at uh, art and the creation of art that may not entirely give her credit. And I think she is usually like, she's tolerant of that persona or of that level of relating to her because she's, you know, a grateful person who likes to, likes to have her persona out there for lack of a better way of putting it. Sorry. I woke up from a nap relatively recently. Did I mention? Um, the coffee is not hit yet. I, d I don't think she minds, but I think she also doesn't, like, y you have to remember that this is a, a professional and an expert at what she does. And I think that there, I think that women, mu like female musicians are often not given quite enough credit when they have this kind of persona, the sort of like Tori Amos, like, drama like college drama persona or the stevie nicks i'm wearing a cut up skirt made of like old high school banners and twirling in a circle and listening to the universe like all right well sure she may be doing that but then she has to translate it and give it lyrics and sing it and find a piano line that goes with it and it's it's hard work and not everyone can do it so wait, it's... are you suggesting that I was reading her in a misogynistic way and that no, I'm not giving her enough no, credit? Okay. No. What I'm saying is I think it's easy for the world to do that, mm. especially for women like her and hey, like Grace Slick, why not? Who came out of who were the women who came out of mostly male bands and who may have been sleeping with their bandmates because that's your coworkers and you're on the road and who else are you going to fuck? But I think that Stevie Nicks has a particular persona that might be like the, the witchiness of it, I think, and people's objections to that. Like, we're embracing her witchiness. But I think when people object to her witchiness, it's like a, you know, it's a gendered thing that's both dismissing what she does and that whole you know being scared of women thing that is at the root of people's fear of witches and witchcraft right but yeah i mean it i would love to know how she walks that line for herself because it's not easy if someone asks you about a lyric and you genuinely don't know what it means it must be easy if you have the Stevie Nicks persona to be like, well, you know, I, I found it in the bottom of a bowl of minestrone, <laughs> like two, two beans and a, and a, and a pea formed this shape. At, they were all in a line and that's what the lyric means. Or, you know, it must be hard to admit, like, I don't know exactly where that came from because right. your persona would tend to be this like, not whiffy exactly. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I I think Stevie Nicks is a badass who, uh, because of that persona, just 
I always am concerned to give her credit for being a boss. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we... I just am concerned that you were thinking that I wasn't going to be doing that. No, no, no. This is not directed at you. This is a okay. parallel comment about her witchiness. Yes. Because <laughs> I think that you're what like you just the said... Least mis- I think you're less misogynistic than I am, so <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I think that what you just said, the analysis of the way that people dismiss or are afraid of her, or used to be, I think is spot on. And one of the things that I love about living in 2017 is that, to me at least, it is easier for me now to not ever acknowledge or interact with that chauvinist fear of an artist like Stevie Nicks because there are so much more... There's so much more space in the culture now because of the internet, frankly, where if you don't want to listen to the quote-unquote gatekeepers telling you that Stevie Nicks can only go so far in terms of respect, you don't have to listen to them because they're not the only voices out there and they're not necessarily authorities. And what I love about liking Stevie Nicks right now is that people, there are enough people out there who have access to communicative tools who can call bullshit on all of that because it is such bullshit and it is so true that all of the women from this period, Grace Slick, Pat Benatar... Stevie Nicks, Hart, like they all are praised. They're all, it seems like they all get responded to in one of two ways by white dude, straight rock critics and people who perhaps emulate them. They either get the, wow, she's amazing for a chick, which is not a compliment actually. Yeah. Or, wow, this chick thinks she can do this and we have to think of a way to marginalize her accomplishment. And I don't, I'm not here for that. And that's why I actually loved that season of American Horror Story so much, because like you said, the fear of witchcraft is also rooted in the fear of femininity. And in American Horror Story, the answer was, yeah, actually, these women are as powerful as the misogynistic culture would have you believe. Stevie Nicks is that powerful. Misty Day, the character who loves Stevie Nicks in that season, is that powerful and that good fundamentally. And to me, I love living that good an actress. Yeah. Big up Lily Rabe always. I think Fabulous. she's super famous. So good. Yeah. Because at the at the core of it, Stevie Nicks' persona that I was talking about, I find incredibly appealing. And then also incredibly appealing is her remarkable ability to make melodic, hooky, good, kick-ass music that I find pleasurable to listen to and that I find exciting. And I think that in a way, the fact that Stevie Nicks has continued to make this music and doesn't ever seem to apologize for it in the wake of 40 years of shit being hurled at her makes me like her even more. And that's... We're we're totally deep in the Stevie Nicks cultural waters now, but hey, y'all, that's Mastis. Welcome. If this is your first episode, this this comes up a lot. But uh, uh, yeah, it does. I here's, here's something that hasn't come up before. I was, I mean, I was destroyed by Carrie Fisher's passing, as were many people. Not least because I always thought there was this like psychic link between the two of them that they had become in their uh, certain age, these like still beautiful, even more powerful, plump, menchy goddesses. And mm. I always thought they should have a show like The Wine Show. <laughs> but 
but good. A, a show yeah, like the also show, but not a show wine because yeah. I think they're both in recovery. So like the grape juice show or who cares? Like the Carrie and Stevie rate bed and breakfast. I don't give a shit. I just thought it would be fun to like see them do something together because they had a similar like sort of I'm way too old for this shit. Fuck you energy at right. where they were that I was just like, I think that would have been cool. Anyway, please continue. So, yes. Now, what we're also pointing out is that, for better or for worse, if you are a music fan who does more than just casually listen, I guess, who engages in the cultural conversation around music as we do, Stevie Nicks is not someone that you can listen to without thinking about all of these things, I feel, which gives her music an extra surge. But what I also love about her music is that Stand Back is such a good song, for instance, that once I'm into the process of just listening to it, my critical brain turns off for a few minutes and I'm just digging the groove. I'm just digging what you were saying before, the like gravelly vocal, I the 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 emotional fuck you to loneliness. I just so I feel like that's why she's worth all the thinking to me because she her music oh, is so totally. fundamentally great that it's I want to think more about her music because her music brings me so much pleasure and for me she's sort of hits that perfect sweet spot where I want to keep thinking about her because she still makes me want to rock and I love an artist that can push me on either side of that the emotional or the intellectual and uh I feel like this is a good time to bring up in terms of that funkiness, the fact that you may have discovered in your research that Stand Back is directly inspired by Little Red Corvette by Prince, and that uh -huh. when she was recording this song, she apparently called Prince and said that she was basing the song on Little Red Corvette, and then he apparently showed up at the recording studio, played a killer synth keyboard hook and then bounced and they didn't see each other again for like decades or something which is <laughs> such an amazing story of musical geniuses that i kind of hope is true i always want it to be true where it's just like boop 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 hey stevie i mean hey prince it's stevie come over okay girl he like lays down his hot pocket that he had just heated up and he's like i'll get uh -huh. back to that drives over does his no, thing hands it to apollonia drives over there right, exactly and to me the fact that prince's funkiness that she was awake enough to it to write her own song and apparently she heard that song little red corvette on her honeymoon and she had to take her honeymoon night to just quickly sketch out the chords the fact that she's like so into her art and her music and that he, this other genius comes over and helps her that just adds another level of awesomeness to the legacy of this song yeah I will also add that if you stood her and Prince on top of each other, they might be my height. Not <laughs> that tall. And that Stevie Nicks really like the, I have a skirt that my husband calls the Stevie Nicks skirt. <clears throat> it's like cut into layers. It has pockets and it's sort of somehow it's very fluffy, but it's also slimming. Mm -hmm. And there's something about like all those like, layers and fringe and shawls and like how many vests do you actually have on there's like four and one of them is a hat that you're wearing right now that i think is a wonderful version of armor of the 70s mm. like mm -hmm. that instead of actual you know plate mail it's like well how do we do this with uh macrame and scarves and she figured out a way and it's 
it's beautiful, but it's also this protective cocoon. Right. In which she's creating herself. So, well, and yeah, also, she, there are a lot of really... layers to her, period. Yes. And the, she is definitely part of a legacy of artists like that, like a lot of 60s and 70s rockers to me. Like Jim Morrison strikes me as someone who was crafting a sort of inscrutable persona. The Pink Floyd, like, that's another line that she's part of, but I just find her music so much more pleasurable. Yeah. Because she's not, I don't know, like she doesn't necessarily disappear up her own butthole with the like Native American imagery and, uh, you know, I mean, Jim Morrison, I think is maybe like he died before he could finally like stop drinking and evolve out of that somewhat workshoppy on the nose lyricism. Right. Because his personal magnetism carried him probably further than actual lyrical talent. He was perfect for his time. But then I think once the 70s started, you needed to have a little bit more of a, like, distance or, like, a little snap, little tang of irony to it. And I don't think he was there yet. And as readers of uh, The Girls' Bike Club know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my my like fanfic whatever take on them writing these lyrics <laughs> something 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 wire no jim <clears throat> i'm like not necessarily a huge fan we haven't talked that much about the doors and i i think we should maybe get into like we should get into that at some point like rank the morrison hotel sometime but she i mean she definitely had an ear for what for what people were thinking and how they would feel it like how people think about emotion and how she Mm. could translate that into song and she seldom got it wrong like when you were talking about the her music being enjoyable i was just thinking that whenever you hear a song that she wrote it like auto populates my mind with visuals like regardless of what the video actually was like it, it brings me to a visual place where I'm like, this is occurring here on a, you know, drive through the mountains. And right. This is do the you, emotional space that we're in, and it's a Sunday. Do you know her song "Leather and Lace" that she sings with Don Henley? Uh probably. It's. It, I probably haven't heard it since. Uh, so it's so this "Stand Back" was the lead single from her second solo album, and it reached number five. Uh, Leather and Lace was one of the hit singles from her first solo album, Belladonna, that topped the chart, uh, the album chart, and produced three hit singles, Leather and Lace, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, and, of course, Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, but, one of those was Tom Petty, right? Yeah, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Yeah, I thought so. So what I love about Leather and Lace, uh, which I won't get into too deeply, other than it's uh, Lovers Forever face to face oh sure yes god of course that thing so (laughs) that that song to me perfectly encapsulates what you just said because there's a lyric in that song that it's in the verse that don henley sings that says you in the moonlight with your sleepy eyes could you ever love a man like me and to me that lyric which stevie nicks wrote because she wrote the entire song by herself conjures up a man coming to someone's house looking at 
this woman in the night time the moonlight is all that's open like she opens the door she's been asleep he's knocked on her door in the late in the evening so when she opens the door just the moonlight hits her she's still kind of groggy but he's there he's desperate for her to come back and he's saying could you ever love a man like me and those two lines for me for whatever reason evoke that entire dense scene and that's why i love that song and i just needed to say that to me is an example of that point that you made all right. Well, Stevie, Ms. Nix, thank you very much for your contributions to culture and to our uh, feminist wokeness. Uh, en conclusion, Mark, still not a misogynist. <laughs> I'm taller than Prince and Stevie Nix, and this has been Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Hey! <laughs> Sarah, I hear the rain falling at your house, and for some reason that reminds me that we need a new bumper. What do you I, think? I do love the way your mind works. Uh, yes, we do. And here's some of the information that we need in our new bumper. This is Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, which is hosted by me, Sarah D. Bunting, and you, Mark Blankenship, and edited by me, Sarah D. Bunting, who wrote our theme song today. That's important. Well, that would be Laura Barger and Jack Baldelli, and we do praise them. And let me know that if you would like to praise us or would like to tell us anything, you can contact us in one of the following ways. You can reach us on email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, on Twitter at talksongs, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. We'd love to hear from you with song requests, with ads. Uh, requests with anything you'd like to tell us at all, frankly, because we do get a kick at appearing from you. But Sarah, I think there's one more exciting thing they need to know. There is, and it's this. You can become a producer on this fine feathered podcast by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. For a small monthly donation, you get access to exclusive content, uh, audio content made just for you, polls about our next ranking episode that you get to vote on and direct the podcast, uh, it helps us keep the lights on around here, pay for hosting and all that unglamorous stuff, and uh, we really appreciate your support, and uh, yeah. Well, and now the last thing that we appreciate is your humor and your patience as we try to say this part in unison. Because here we go. This, this is Mark and Sarah, Sarah talk, talk about... about Songs. Songs. Pretty good. I'll take it. Sure. To make it rich. Oh no. Must be the season of the witch. Must be the season of the witch. Must be the season of the witch. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.